Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is Discovery Edition of our broadcast, and I am Michael Flores, your host for today. And I'm also sitting in the captain's seat. And at the helm with me is the one and only David Sabal. Hello, David. Hello, it is a good day. Yes, uh, we had a bit of a break from our live shows during the winter hiatus. Uh, we enjoyed three months of pan far. <laughs> we were both very vigorous in our endeavors. Were very, we very vigorous. Yeah. Now we now we must actually meditate on our actions. Yes. So we are back doing live shows. We did come back last week, obviously, with the on-demand versions, but uh, we weren't ready to go live. But now we are here. We are back. If you're listening on the website because you found us through Twitter or Facebook, you can also listen to us live via the TuneIn Radio app. Just search RM Channel 001 and add us to your favorites and listen to us anywhere you want to go. Also, the Rain Man Digital app, David. The Rain Man Digital app. Just search Rain Man Digital in your iOS or Google Play stores. Add it and uh, also take us wherever you want to go with that app as well. As I've always said, it's always logical. Yeah, during your vigorous Panfar expeditions, you can also <laughs> listen to us. Anytime. With your uh, holodeck pornography. Oh, yes. The hollow suite. <laughs> that's the proper terminology for that one. Um, all right. So today we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 11, The Wolf Inside, directed by T.J. Scott. All right. So, David, let's hail. Let's all hail Emperor Giorgio. <laughs> let's take a moment. Let's that all- was, a, we did kind of call it. We did kind of call it in the last one, yeah. kind of. Yeah, we, we knew. We knew she was in a pop-up. We knew. I mean, it, it only makes sense with the whole trifecta of brilliance that we're always talking about is Giorgio, Saru, and Sarek in many ways. So it would only make sense for all three of those characters to make all three of those characters make a relevant appearance this week. And they definitely did. Yeah, and it was really interesting to actually see that what we've called the trifecta of brilliance turned upside down. Yeah. Like I really, the the thing I really enjoyed about this episode was actually Burnham's uh, like internal conflict about trying to adapt to this mirror universe. Right. And like the mentality that she has to take and it really does go against everything that's inside of her. But then you, then she gets to see the three main people that actually mean something to her in yep. a different light. And you actually start seeing it start to change her. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Now we all expected Giorgio to pop up in some aspect. I think we kind of suspected, as you were saying, Dave, that she would possibly be the faceless emperor as we keep hearing. <laughs> 
especially when you're dealing with things with a show like this where all the moving parts matter and aid in the character development of one central figure, Burnham. So it's something that I think most of us kind of suspected it would happen in some aspect, and it certainly did. Also, it looks like our first big discovery fan theory has proven correct. Uh, Shazed Latif is playing two separate characters, as obviously Ash Tyler and now Klingon Vok, or he called himself Vok this past week. So I don't know how you pronounce that. Maybe we can get a Klingon <laughs> um, uh, lingui- linguist on the air with us and they can correct us on how we we pronounce that because they've pronounced it two different ways now, haven't they? During they did. The show. Yeah. yeah, because it was Vok at one point, but now they pronounce it as Vok. Vok sounds cooler to me. Vok sounds cooler. Yeah. I mean, hey, I'm Vok. That sounds better than, hey, I'm Vok. And this is not cool. There's no cool ring to it. There's no cool ring to it. It doesn't, and it doesn't sound very Klingon saying Vok. Yeah. Vok, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like that. So it was cool, although a part of me wished I was not on the internet uh, and we didn't do the show because I think that theory was a bit of a spoiler. And I would like to have known when I would have actually figured it out organically or if I would have at all. You know, it was fun. I know some people are complaining about how transparent and predictable it was, but I disagree. I, yeah. I don't think it was. I don't and, think it was that transparent because, like, honestly, from the get go, we've all been. Every Star Trek fan already had it in their head that something is off about who they have playing Vok because ever since day ever since day one they had the the credentials of uh of of the actor really out there in public in question. I mean, you had his Twitter account which was just random, and he would wear the Vok mask portraying himself and not really showing who the real actor is. And that was like a dead giveaway. We already knew, okay, something is up about this character. And then they introduced Tyler. Yeah. But, but again, that's, that's the, that's the internet meaning that's, that's that's the internet. Let's take away the internet for a moment. And that's where I was going with this, Dave, is that yes, there was those clues and it's fun that the producers got on board the, the clue fun, the clue train where they're dropping breadcrumbs and having fun with it in a very uh, transmedia type way, you know, via social media. But imagine if we didn't have these avenues of social media. I feel like this reveal would have been truly a reveal. I don't think as here. Everyone's a CSI. Yes, there we go. Everyone's a CSI. And uh, and I honestly think the truth of the matter is they would be far less people Figuring that out if it wasn't for the internet and the countless blogs that posted this this fan theory. So rather than complaining and saying, oh, it's predictable. I saw it coming. I'm like, did you really see it coming did, did or really? did you read a blog? Exactly. Did you read a blog that said no one knows who this actor is who's playing Vok? He's never before been seen. So they do Photoshop images of a fake <laughs> character. I think that it's not as predictable as people as like people to think. think. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to my mother. She's an avid Star Wars, Star Trek nut, but she's not on the internet. She doesn't use Twitter and Facebook and all those things. And I asked her after this episode aired, I'm like, did you see that coming? She's all, no. I, I knew something was up with them because of the whole uh, Laurel connection. But she's, I didn't even think that it was Vox. So there's people out. And my mom's a pretty intelligent lady. Yeah. All right. She's not a dummy. 
I, I feel like it was a good reveal. And I felt like maybe two episodes ago is when we started saying, okay, something's up with this dude. Yeah. And, and throughout the entire episode, they made it feel organic. They felt the mystery of Tyler was organic. They introduced this character in an episode that didn't at first seem tied to anything Klingon, but when you actually take a look at it, Laurel's there. Laurel's the one who captured uh, Lorca and also captured Tyler. You know what? Just let's stop the intelligent talk for a second, Dave. And correct me if I'm wrong, but did we get our first image of Klingon boob this week in a flashback? I'm not sure. Yeah, we we got some Klingon boob there. I think so because when the ridges on tits are 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 not, I don't care. I I was I was I was game. I was for it. I was like, that's pretty hot. Not gonna lie. (laughs) Put some ridges on boobs and call me a Klingon. Why not? I I would go for it. Makes makes you wonder about that rough Klingon sex. Oh, are there ridges (laughs) everywhere? All right, so we're going to get into all of this a little bit later in the show after our first break. We're going to talk about the complaining a bit more and and, and really delve into whether or not it was transparent and predictable. Um, However, David, I do have a question about Lieutenant Ash Tyler, and it's a lingering question that I think is meant to be there for the time being. Is there really even an Ash Tyler? Was he, in fact, at one point really a prisoner aboard Laurel's vessel? Now, I suspect yes. Otherwise, Lorca could have easily figured out the lie. There would be record of his service, right? He could easily search the Federation archives and say, there is no record of an Ash Tyler. So was Ash Tyler really a prisoner? Did they kill him, mutilate him, take his thoughts somehow, or at least take an idea of who they think he was and then embed it on top of Vok's identity? That's that's the mystery that ultimately is about Tyler's character. It's not who is Tyler. Thank you. It is what is Tyler. Yes, I agree. Is because like the the thing that basically really made me interested was the fact that what set off Tyler, remember, Laurel tried to u- use that uh mind word or that that password to break him out that per, uh, out of that personality. Porno password, if you will. Yeah. And then it didn't work. And she was wondering what, what, what's going on. He saw my, my ridged boobs didn't work. My ridged boobs it did, it didn't, didn't spark work. your memory. But the one thing that did spark his memory was going through and being, remembering why our Vok, the Vok that basically comes from the original or discoveries from right. What sets him off? It's the, basically that Takuvma's belief that you have to remain Klingon. If you don't, it's one of the greatest sins is actually, crossbreeding into other species like right. he, he calls the andorans treacherous and the vulcans you know untrustable and everything and blending of the blending of the species is almost like heresy right and ultimately that's what leads to his his acceptance his acceptance or awakening of who he is, of and, who and, he is. and we're going to get into that but i think the question i think moving forward dave when it pertains to ash tyler himself is who is he yeah is no, no, not a, who. Is he a real person? Yeah. What is he? Yeah, I, I would be that's interested. The, that's in, the question. I'd be interested in exploring that. And if it's as simple as, hey, the dude's dead, I'm like, okay. I, but I feel like there is a question there that needs to be answered, right? Yeah. yeah. Because th- there is, there's still a very big mystery about Tyler that has to be explained. And I think, I, I really stu- still think that Tyler 
Tyler's character is going to be explaining a lot about the mysteries of the Klingons in Star Trek as a whole. Yeah. That we've always been wanting to know about. There's a lot there. And I know there were some people. It's just it just it is what it is. People like to complain. And I know there were people out there kind of. They felt like it was anticlimactic and I completely disagree with it. And I feel like there's a lot more to be done with both Vok and Tyler. I don't think we're done. We're on episode 11 of the first season. I mean, let's give it a chance to marinate and really figure out what's happening with these two characters and how it will end up panning out. And I think that's the problem with a lot of because that's why I, I also I also was like seeing I like, read it on a blog, David. <laughs> I also I also saw a lot of complaints that, oh, it's anticlimactic. And I'm like going in order for it to be anticlimactic, it has to reach its end. The story has to come to an end. The story's not even done yet. Not, not even close. It's not even close to being done yet. Yeah. We're not, we're only like in like episode two or episode three. David, there's something called act structures when you're writing TV shows. Exactly. And there's ups and downs. There's highs and lows. It's part of the writing process. And we, we are just on a slump now, not in a bad way, in a writing way. We're going down and we're going to be going back up. Just be patient. Yeah, be patient. It's like, unfortunately, nowadays, a lot of people who are bloggers and reviewers think that they think that they can uh, review something and know how writing structure works. But in actuality, they're jumping the gun before the series isn't even done yet. So in essence, Tyler's story is not done. You think that they're going to end a character's story by episode two? Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Let's put a pin in that, Dave. Let's put a pin in that and let's do some troll hunting. Okay. Before we go to our, our first break here. Um, there was a comment posted on, I believe, independent.co. It's a UK site that does various blogging of sorts. And there was a question that was uh, pinned on the comment section of the review that they did of the episode. And I feel like this is an example of overthinking and relying too much on your own expectations and what you deem realistic or science fact rather than focusing on what the show is about, which is a fictitious events uh, told by other people other than yourself. Let's do some troll hunting. So get those phasers ready. Okay, Dave, get okay. those phasers ready and don't fire at will. I, I will tell you when to fire. I'll tell you to target that explosion and fire much like Sulu. So hold, hold, hold tight here. Question is, why do sci-fi writers always get these mirror universes totally wrong? They did the same thing in French. If your universe is so radically different because of something that happened years before, like this evil empire taking over, then the same people would not even exist or still be alive now. Never mind be together on the same spaceship. David, if you remember a few weeks ago yes, and last week and also on our Patreon shows, it's simple. And, and also not only is the answer simple, and we answered it last week, but also the writers of Discovery answered it. Specifically, they said in a conversation between Lorca and Burnham, one word, destiny. That's why. So you have these people bitching about, oh, they get these mirror universe, these alternate realities wrong. But guess what? If you're not watching the show, you missed it. Because they specifically answered this question here. Yeah. Destiny. 
Destiny is the reason why all of these people's lives are drawn together in this particular universe. And it, uh, forget the science. You're, you're not a scientist. I, the worst thing is you get these people that are like, again, they read blogs or they're bloggers or they're science buffs because they read popular science once a month <laughs> when they because they got that subscription for the past, you know, since the 80s. And they're one of 100 people. <laughs> That still subscribe. That still subscribe to it. But just because you are a science buff doesn't make you a scientist. Yes. And I hate how you get all these people on the internet trying to explain science. Well, this is not how it works. You're right. It doesn't work that way. And it's a problem that you and I have discussed. But we hoped that in this day of modern television... They accept that the audience is more intelligent. Give us a reason, an explanation as to why the mirror universe operates that way. We've been talking about this for going on a year and a half. Yes. And they did just that with a very simple, but very well written conversation between Burnham and Lorca. And it all goes back to destiny. Did, did the guy miss that entire scene? Did he check out because he's too busy reading popular science <laughs> or reruns of Bill Nye, the science guy? There you go. Fire. David. Fire. I, I fired before I could tell you. Sorry. <laughs> I was too anxious. Go and fire some more of him. Okay. Firing. Yeah. Some more. More, David. More. <laughs> more. God damn it. <laughs> uh, I'm not done. Keep firing, David. Keep that keep that uh, trigger finger ready to go. I don't think we have enough torpedoes for this troll. <laughs> <laughs> Every fandom, Dave, has its uh, its abyss of stupidity. Yeah, and this is one of them. It's you get these people who are avid fans and they want to read into the science so much that they believe that they're scientists. Yeah, I'm like, you're not a scientist, bro. Yeah, and that that's the thing. That's the thing about you know. On our show, we talk about the the science of of Star Trek and stuff like that. However, as pro, it's told to as us, as it's told to us, right? As it's told to us, and we break down elements. Like I feel like the science and discovery is pretty spot on for the most part. Yes, there's some some liberties taken, but I think that comes with the territory of television and entertainment. However, the spore drive and how all that works. There is a book that you can read that's all about the foundation of what that technology, the fictitious technology is built on. There's a book out there about this very thing. I'll post the link on our website. I have it in the back studio there. I don't remember the name of the book, but I looked it up because Aaron Harberts on one of his interviews discussed this book that they used as a source of the science that would inspire this spore drive. Yeah. And that's and that's the thing is kind of like whenever I hear whenever I read a lot of the troll comments about the science, it's what they know. It's what they're putting out there that only they know. This is my science. Yeah, it's like, well, if it's just science that precludes to you, then honestly, it's not about Star Trek then because you're not getting the science from Star yeah. Trek. You know what? Just go watch. You know, Netflix has some new original episodes of Bill Nye, the science guy. Watch those. Watch All those. Right? Because he's a, a genius, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right. We're going to go to a very <laughs> quick break. And when we get back, we're going to jump into all the ins and outs of the episodes, the writing, production design, cinematography. We'll be right back. 
Double dumbass on you! The Rain Man Show. The Rain Man Show. I've never had that issue. Andrew, you're also autistic. Sure. And you don't know how to and read human behavior. Yeah. It's true. No, I understand. So that. You probably. But think, I've never. Oh, gosh, golly, this guy really liked me. Meanwhile, he wants to curb stomp I've you on your way out. I've never had that interaction. Everybody, it, I, it's because they don't know your schedule. Once they know your schedule, you're going to get curb stomped. <laughs> it's every other day for three days, and then it's a two day rest. All right. But I've oh, never had that interaction. Like wh- whenever I approach somebody and I say, "Hey, here's some resources that might give you a better resources." <laughs> what do you give me? Like, what do you like? Let me pull up my bodybuilding.com <laughs> account. I'll like, show it to you, bro. You're offering books. Do you like? Do you, do you pin like a link to Pinterest and you like send it over to them? No, I'm just like, hey, here's some. If you're looking for a routine or not uh, routine, if you're looking to fix your or work on your form, I've actually I've actually uh, panned a few uh, great workout routines on, on my Pinterest. Hit me up. He goes over to the guy that's like fucking two. 66.5 just ripped. Like, uh, would you like to try my new team? Yeah. You no, know, you squat. You got to break parallel, right? Uh, I'm like, you hey, I'm like, hey, bro, with me. <laughs> I'm oh, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> You're not helping anybody at the gym. Oh uh, man, I made some good friends. All right, that's I mean, all I'm you, saying about you, it. You, treadmill. He's got you, treadmill. You, like, if I didn't know any better, I would think we were in 1930s and you were living in an attic with Anne Frank recently. That's how thin you are. You're malnutrition, and you're trying to get. Oh my god, crying! Stop. <laughs> For more Rain Man, visit RainManShow.com. It's Weird West Sunday. So the first thing I look at is, okay, if you're doing a Western and your inspiration is the surrealism of Sergio Leone, then you better have your panels drawn in such a way that it resembles the work of Leone. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sergio Leone was known during a time when anamorphing was being used. The comic book pages of Pretty Deadly is you saw those mimicking images. The, and, and I'm not talking just the wide screen style shots but also just the depth of field and making sure certain elements should stay in focus. Emma Rio studied and did her homework when she got down to doing this comic book. Yeah, she did a great job. I think going down the path and kind of creating their own their own lore. They created their own lore. Mm -hmm. I think it, it leaves more room for mystery and more room for creativity and originality. Well, and like this one, I don't think I don't think they threw that so much into your face either yeah you know the christianity or or paganism or anything like that it was if you if you read it like i kind of read it catch up on your favorite weird west discussions from mike and clint every sunday on rain man channel 001 listen from the rain man digital app or tune in just search rm channel 001 Have you ever wanted something so bad that you do just about anything for it? Well, that's exactly how we feel about you. That's right. AdamandEve.com wants you so bad. We're giving you 10 free gifts with your first order. You heard me right. That's 10 free gifts to spice up your love life. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, an adventurous toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. 
That's 10 free gifts for you shy types who've never tried Adam and Eve before. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code DEAL30 at checkout and you'll get all 10 free gifts, including free shipping. That's offer code DEAL30. That's D-E-A-L-30 at adamandeve.com. Energize. Welcome back to Star Trek from the Holodeck, the Discovery Edition. All right, so it's time to get into this episode here. Directed by T.J. Scott, titled The Wolf Inside. All right, so something that we don't always discuss in detail, but we should. And uh, this is the production design because... It's something that we shouldn't forget to discuss. I know we run out of time because we are already pushing an hour and a half, two hours sometimes on these shows because there's so much to talk about when it comes to the actual narrative. But that doesn't mean we should just skip over or briefly touch on some of the technical achievements and artistic achievements that goes into this show. And a few of those is the production design, the art direction, and all facets of the makeup, whether it be special effects makeup, the VFX makeup, the um, the the actual prosthetics, everything that goes into this show is so carefully chosen. And, you know, the production designer, Tamara uh, Deverell and Mark Worthington, just fantastic work week after week with the amount of detail and and just kind of know how that goes into the work and the, the look of the show. I mean, the textures is what I noticed and the depth of each piece of production. It's consistent. Uh, the cohesive continuity of the design and the color palette uh, is probably the thing that really sticks out the most to me week after week. It's quite an accomplishment. It looks so gorgeously put together. I think we've seen enough to... To say something like this, such a broad, ballsy statement. But I think without a doubt, Dave, this is probably the most gorgeous looking Star Trek that we've ever gotten, right? Oh, absolutely. Cinematic wise. Oh, my God. I mean, like, I understand that basically in the past Enterprise, which was the last uh, Star Trek series, tried to go that route. But Unfortunately, the technology wasn't quite there yet. And also the, the, the taste, the palette, the for, palette for certain types of television wasn't quite there yet until actually when the show ended around 2004, 2005 yeah. is when TV really started to drastically change where we started getting less um, television look and you had started getting that more cinematic look. cinematic look. But one thing we don't get into every week is the technical achievements. And I kind of want that to change. And I, I don't want to neglect this, um, this aspect, particularly when you have scenes like how the episode opened this week. The cinematography is just so important to any piece of television or film that's hoping to evoke any type of emotion and establish a connection between the unseen painter, the writers, and the audience. It, it's visual poetry, Dave. It's, it is. I mean, like, I love the fact that they went so far as to actually explain the difference in lighting and the difference like, yeah. And yep. In 
how how every shot seemed to move very slow and methodically and went along with what the narrative was saying. Methodically is the perfect word. Like and it, it's well-chosen word. And the, the entire scene was just gorgeously shot to yeah. fit what Burnham was thinking. And that's a sign of great cinematography, great filmmaking that you don't see in a lot of TV shows. Yeah. It's the invisible letters that form words that tell an additional story like that adds to the additional story. And usually it's subtle. And I think it should be, you don't want to be taken out of the moment. And in the case of this week's opening episode, as I was saying, Glenn Keenan, the DOP, the director of photography for discovery, he creates a beautiful piece of poetic symbolism using well-chosen visuals. And the specific shot I'm talking about is very opening scene when we were first introduced to Burnham this week through the lens of a skewed reflection. We see Burnham and then the camera jibs up from the skewed reflection surface of the floor to Burnham lying on her bed, symbolizing the mirror universe and the opposites that it represents and where our lead character currently finds herself. What a way to open the episode. Yes. You have that stark contrast the definitive line when the camera jibs up it hits the bed it goes up i mean it's just so well thought out man and this is what makes television shows stand the test of time it's it's that use of cutting i don't know uh, there, i don't know if there's an exact term for it but it's cutting the the frame completely 50 50 yeah no, and that's, that's right. It it goes with that duality story that we're trying to tell in Burnham's character right now that Absolutely. everything is split in half. Absolutely. And Dude, give, I got giddy. Crit- I got so giddy when they opened up with that shot. I was like, oh, I love that shot. Oh, that yeah. shot. I was so jealous because I wanted to do it. It was just so good. Because like I'll be I'll be honest. I've I've watched a lot of television shows. Not a lot, even to by today's standards, not a lot of TV shows. They don't put a lot of stock in trying to tell a story visually. It's usually they have, they, they set up the camera and then they just let the actors go. And that's what it seems. It's very plastically two dimensional, but with, with discovery, the more and more I've watched discovery, I'm seeing like little, little like nods to cinematography where you're taking depth of field. You're taking, you're cutting the frames in half and thirds and fourths. Yeah. And every single angle is done so that you could kind of help the narrative go along. Yeah. Each frame of the shot is telling its own story. And that's how cinematography for television and movies where you want there to be some relevance to your visuals. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. The, the cinematographer's right there telling his own version of the same story. All right. So that being said, I feel like each week, well, we only have a few weeks left, but I think moving forward, I want to, I want to highlight at least one, shot every week and talk about it because I don't want to forget those moments because I think they're just as important as the writing so Dave when you watch the episode the episode's moving forward pick your shot of the week shot of the week and then bring it to me and I'll include into the show notes and then we can discuss it analyze it break it down and, and try to see what possibly the writing team and the cinematographer is trying to say with this particular visual yeah. And I'll do the same. All right. So let's get into some of the events that transpired this week. First and foremost, Lieutenant Ash Tyler. 
<laughs> As I was saying, it has been fun trying to figure out this character. I don't believe we've ever had a character or situation like this in Star Trek before uh, where we can follow the clues and the breadcrumbs to the definitive ending of this character, or at least the immediate characters uh, in game or goal. We haven't had this moment before in Star Trek. And, and again, this is a show that's the product of the times. It's a different, it's a different decade of television. Storytelling has drastically changed since the days of enterprise. And of course, deep space nine Voyager and next generation. And I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving the, the fact that the writers are grabbing a hold of this new generation of writing and what the audiences want. And they're telling different types of stories. We've never seen something like this in a show. And I honestly believe that a lot of the, you know, I know some people scoffed. Even I was skeptical about the TVMA rating when we first had heard about it. Right. Oh yeah. We both had um, some mixed feelings about it. And I believe you and I both came to the same conclusion that if it's used to tell an emotional story that's and bring a little bit of grit and realism that will be on board. And that's what the TVMA rating has done for this show. It's giving you reasons to have moments like the Ash Taylor reveal, which the Ash Tyler reveal, which wasn't, which was a, there was some very disturbing dark imagery in Dude, his there was, memories. There was, there was flesh a lot and of, bones yeah. being shredded and ripped taboo sexual scenes between a human and a Klingon. And it does so much for the story. I know some people want to claim that this scene was predictable, but was it really? I still say it wasn't. I, yeah. And I know the internet has turned a lot of average people into top notch detectives uh, who claim their detective prowess, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I I'd wager if the internet was filled if it wasn't filled with spoilers and people sharing theories, I don't think the scene would be as predictable as people are claiming it is. No, because no, nobody would ever think about, you know, whatever they did to Tyler, it still is up to debate and still a mystery to what Tyler is. Is he, is, is Ash Tyler a real person and the they graft Vok onto Tyler or is Tyler of, like a generated personality out of the whole, whatever they did to him. That's yeah. still a mystery. Yeah. And that's why, what, that's why I said is like, everyone wants to jump the gun. And says, oh, it's so predictable. Really? It's predictable because people get affected by what they see on the internet. Right. And I guess we'll never truly know for sure, but you can't whether- have surprises nowadays. There's no such thing as a, right. a real honest to God, M night Shyamalan twist. <laughs> yeah. That, that could happen in today's, in today's uh, cinema. Yeah. Because too many people, they, they'll read it first on the internet and then they'll say, Oh, that that's so predictable. Well, it's predictable because you're just told it. Yeah. Cause you read it in a big old fat headline from the nerdist or yeah. from some other bullshit blog. But putting that all aside, I don't think that changes the fact that it worked. Yeah. Uh, and we haven't even begun to see the emotional impact that this truth will have on Burnham, which that's the point. If it serves as misdirection, great. If it serves, if this whole scenario, the Vok Tyler scenario, 
if it didn't work to miss for your misdirection, that's fine. But the point of it isn't necessarily to fool you. It's about Burnham. It's about it, to tell it's a about, story. Right. It's about her story. And how will this affect her moving forward? I mean, we don't even know what type of effect this will actually have on Tyler Vock himself. Will it be as simple as that? As what we saw in this episode, he remembers and he can suddenly forget the pain he went through, both physical and psychological, as well as potentially any feelings he had for this Discovery crew or Burnham. Yeah, I'm sorry. The way we left him off right now, I'm I'm it's a mystery to what is Tyler going to do now, because like. Okay, if Vok is in control, Vok also has the memories of number one, sleeping with Burnham. Yeah, you did. Having relationships with Burnham. Oh, wait a second. So you're saying it all comes down to how good the vagina was. <laughs> it could be. I mean, do you like the ridges? I don't or, know. Do, I, do you, <laughs> I, like, I like that crazy stuff. I, I might I might join Laurel's team. Exactly. Do you like the do you like the crazy stuff, the violent stuff, the choking and everything? Okay, you might go to Laurel. Yeah, why not? But, but like <laughs> Ultimately, it it for me, I don't look at it like a a surprise twist as oh that that made the story no right it, does the surprise twist help the story? People's expectations for this season's narrative should not rely on this twist exactly because this twist is a drop in the bucket compared to all the other elements and the moving parts that's making this season this first season come together come together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's going to be the actual focus moving forward. I, this idea that Vok has remembered. I mean, he said he remembered everything. Let me backtrack just a moment. He said he remembered everything once he confronted his mirror universe counterpart. Yes. Then he struggled to tell Burnham. So if he struggled to tell Burnham who he was, even though he knew who he was at that moment, then it wasn't as a clear cut decision as a lot of people are claiming it is on the net right now. I feel like there's a lot more that's going to happen to his, to his character. I don't think he's done. I feel like at that moment he had a sense of resolve. Like this is my mission. This is who I am. And I think a lot of it had to do with the disgust that he felt that his counterpart was, was a, was the exact opposite. He was an abomination. Exactly. I think that's what sent him over the edge. Yeah. But I feel like after that, subsides a bit those those raw emotions and the conflicting feelings within his brain i think there's going to be a little bit of uh, a little bit of sadness there and confusion as to who he is and if he truly does have feelings for burnham still because the fact that he went about that conversation with burnham in a very uh non-confrontational way when he was planning to tell burnham first off he wasn't going to tell burnham if you remember, he was going to keep playing the part of Tyler and then he chose to tell her and he didn't tell her by slitting her, her throat or trying to kill her. He told her. In a very sensitive manner, he said, I have some type of feelings, maybe affection or loyalty towards Laurel. If he had known, like he said, he already know who he already knew who he was. So why is he going through these motions, these motions of of caring how he's telling. He was very delicate in how he explained it to Burnham. 
And I believe that's because he is still confused, not confused as who he is. I think he knows who he is now. I think he's confused emotionally. He's been through a lot. And I feel like the Tyler identity is going to become just just it's going to be just as much him as Vok now moving forward. And he's going to have those conflicting conflicting thoughts and talk about Shakespearean as fuck, dude. I mean, that's how you tell an emotional story. A guy who split between identities, choosing to what path does he choose? Does he choose the path of someone who he fell in love with or does he, or does he choose the path that's his birthright? Exactly. And that's what that's why I said is like if you on if, if there's people out there that honestly think that this is it for Tyler. I'm like, no, this is the beginning because they entered a, a place where his character is literally the what the core element of the story is. The core story of the the story that they're trying the narrative that they're trying to tell is the battle of duality. What are you? What makes you who you are? You know, are you actually are you actually good? Are you actually evil? Yeah. Are you evil for evil's sake? Yeah. And Dave, see, you're spot on, Dave. And I love your analysis of it because you're exact you're exactly right and that's how I feel. And that's why the writers chose the landscape of the mirror universe for the second half of the season to explore these very things. You have some people out there complaining about the mirror universe saying, why do you got to spend so many episodes out there? This is not Star Trek. This is violent. But the title is discovery. Discover oneself, right? Learn about who you are. And this landscape they're using the mirror universe is the perfect landscape the perfect setting to explore this part this portion of our story so i love your analysis i'm glad you came to the exact same conclusion as i did yeah because like that and and the thing is a lot of star trek fans i know feel that violence and this type of serious storytelling doesn't feel like star trek but in actuality, it is. How Listen, many times violence has always been in Star Trek, David? Let's let's no re- matter let's, what. Let's quote somebody, okay? With all the the hatred, but all the hatred and venom that he said this one line with. Let them die. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you let think? Them die. Uh, and, uh, Come on, violence. That guy was hateful. Kirk hated the Klingons. Kirk was Kirk was racist. If you think about it, Kirk, was racist. Arguably, yes, there was a reason to his hate racism. Yeah. But still, he he hated no, hold entire- on, David. Are you trying to justify there's reasons to be racist? Come on, Dave. Come that on. that could be a philosophical debate in Star Trek if you want. Because all right, Captain Kirk, he hates all Klingons because his son died, right? Well, does why does he blame all Klingons? Yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> what, what's, what's that movie with Ed Norton? Uh, in it where they actually explore that where he's a he's a neo-nazi and you it's a uh, oh, american the, x i forget yeah, american history x american history x and they actually go into that they actually explore that very that very aspect or that ideology of of um of justified racism and i a, guess right and, and i hate to say it you know like because i don't want to tell star trek fans that they're poor Star Trek fans. But in in actuality, if you feel that Star Trek is only supposed to be happy-go-lucky and it's supposed to be peace for everybody and everything else. Come on. Then live long and prosper. You're being very naive. Yeah. You're being very naive. All the storylines that you, everyone has grown up with. And now a moment with now a message from David, (laughs) to all Star Trek fans. 
Go ahead. You honestly need to grow up. Because like <laughs> David's taking you to war right now. Yeah, you need to let grow them up. die. Let them die. Okay. Oh, Jesus, but David, calm down. Star Trek fans. Who are you right to, now? Star Trek fans need to grow up. Yeah. Because like I'm sorry. Let, let's, all the, let's not throw. Let's not generalize. Let's not throw all Star Trek fans. Uh, true, true. I mean, not all Star Trek fans, but the Star Trek. I feel fans like we're that, Star Trek fan guides right now. And we're pointing down to all of them, saying you should mind. be ashamed. <laughs> I you don't should mind. Be ashamed of yourself. I don't mind. I don't mind being that guy. Jeez. Because like right now, there's so many people out there. I don't there. know David anybody. I don't know who you. Are. <laughs> I, I there's so many Star Trek fans, and so I see so many comments from quote-unquote hardcore star trek fans constantly say this is not star trek this is not the star trek i grew up on i'm like like, well yeah because star trek evolved and it matured yeah and it's grown up you need to grow oh my jesus david (laughs) look at this aggressive david (laughs) are you are you trying to figure out who you are too or are you really vok over there (laughs) all right so shazad latif I think ultimately did a remarkable, remarkable job as the actor playing Vok and Tyler. I mean, that's talent. The face that he made, the, the, the fact that, I mean, that is acting. David. That is acting. The type of role or the type of scene that he played this week, that's what actors love. That, that, those are the roles actors want when you can have that automatic shift. Because when his face went from Tyler to Vok, you believed it. He looked, he looked like Bach. Yeah. That's how good he is as an actor, man. And I I love when I always talk about this in our shows and I love when producers and writers give such a talent like, like Shazid is or Shazad, I believe is how you pronounce his name. I like when they do the right casting and they give these actors who are exceptional this type of material to work with because it was fun to see that broken spirited Tyler who was confused and broken and didn't know anything. And he was just, just an emotional shell of himself. And then just like that, the flip switch, they didn't even cut the camera. If you notice it was one shot. So it wasn't even like, all right, cut. All right. Now we're going to zoom in for the close up when you switch. No. And it was all one take from emotional Tyler to Vok. And when you can switch on a dime, is that the terminology on a dime? When you can switch just like that with a snap of your fingers and look like somebody else, that is some talent. That is. And that is why, that's one of the biggest reasons why I'm hoping he's not done in this show. Even this season. I don't want, because he is so good at this character and such a good actor that I'm hoping his, I do want resolve. Don't get me wrong. I don't want us to have cliffhanger after cliffhanger, but I, I would love to see his character continue in some way. And and the beautiful thing is that Burnham's mission to find out how is it that basically this in the mirror universe, Firewolf, who turns out to be Vok. Yep. How does he bring these all these different races together when he's a Klingon? And then I thought it was brilliant because I didn't see it coming was like, when she's talking with the captain, I'm like going, why is it, why is it that she's really fascinated by this? And then she brings up to the fact to the captain that if she can find out how Vakir is doing this, she can possibly use the same 
philosophy mm-hmm. and bring peace to their their universe. Yeah, she wanted to understand the Klingons and they get in their and their minds and understand how they can have peace here. Yeah, yeah. And I, I thought uh, all of a sudden I'm like, holy crap, that is beautiful. That's actually really a well thought out narrative. That basically, I thought that basically it would go nowhere. Why? Why is she going into Vaka? Or why is she wanting to meet Firewolf? I thought it was going to be really easy and simple to understand. But in actuality, her mission still is when she gets home, stop war. And knowing that basically Vok here actually ended the war among all races and brought them all together as one, she wanted to find out why. Yeah. And just like what you said, that whole scene with him, Burnham and quote unquote Vok in the, in the same room, my favorite, if I had to come up with uh, a favorite scene, mm-hmm. I know yours was actually the uh, very beginning, which was beautifully shot. That scene for me was really well shot. And plus it was well acted. Yeah, it was good. Because like, you're right. I mean, Ty- the uh, I, I can't, I can never say his name right, but the uh, Tyler, seeing Tyler flip on a, on a dime. Yeah. All in one shot. That was magnificent. It was good. When he screamed, when he screamed out in Klingon as a human. Yeah. And all of a sudden you hear it in his voice that it's not Tyler's voice. It's Vox voice. And then Vok, Vok turns around and says, how do you know our, our ancient ancestor tongue and stuff like that? I thought that was cool. Yeah, it was good. It was a, it was a good setup. I enjoyed it. Tremendous. And, but David, all of these things that we're talking about, we're spinning over half the show now on Vok and Tyler. And the reason why is because there's so much to this character and there's so much more that can become of this character. When, when, when everyone thought it was going to be a throwaway character. Right. And when you think about it, Dave, this is what makes these what we're witnessing right now, Dave. These are the ingredients to a fantastic nemesis. This is how you make those nemesis. This is how you make those the cons. This is how you make the Borgs. This is how you make the Klingong, the Klingongs, I should say, and Kirk's problems with them. We have always said that Voyager and uh, Enterprise, it, it lacked its, its nemesis, the, the core villain that, I, that truly makes our hero who they are and who ends up forging them who they end up becoming. Of obviously, we know the events with Picard becoming Locutus and the Borg and how he had such a hatred towards them. That's what made him who he was eventually. Down the road, all, all paths always led back to that moment when he became assimilated. Kirk and the death of his boy and the Klingons. You know, Sisko and, and being the, the, the prophet of Bajor and the Dominion battle, the Dominion war. That's who Cisco ended up becoming. That defined him. Yes. Okay. Now we have Burnham. What defines Burnham? So much more than just Vok. But when you look at history past, you look at history, you look at all the other elements of Star Trek, what made those iconic characters and some of those elements that stuck with fans and audiences. These are some of those ingredients right here with Vok. I'm not saying that's their plan. And I hope it's not their plan because you know why when you plan it, that's when it doesn't become it. It doesn't become it. You just make something good. You write something great. 
And before you know it, you've created a, an iconic villain or nemesis. And that's what I'm hoping happens. An arch nemesis of sorts. I do too. I mean, like everyone. He can go away for a couple years. He can go away for a couple years. He can come back and always be that reminder of something that that sparks emotion inside of Burnham. And it's different. It's different with, and they could take it with different with Burnham than any of any other characters. Cause if you notice like, okay, with what you brought up, Kirk and the Klingons, it's hatred with, uh, Lacuta, with, uh, Picard and the Borg hatred. All, all of it is about hatred, hatred and also a sense of uh, violation. Yeah. You know, he this, was violated. This right here is a little different because Burnham is obviously in love with Tyler. So, right. so think about what that does to her character. Think about what that does. Her arch nemesis is at one point was her lover. And I'm like going, that's totally different. That that's taking the whole hero nemesis angle to a whole different level. What happens if like the hero is in love with the nemesis or if the nemesis is in love with the hero? Right. Or it brings up conflicting emotions. Conflicting emotions. We've never had a nemesis or a villain where, again, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but we've never had a villain in Star Trek where they had an intimate relationship. Closest closest thing that you could possibly say is Khan. Khan Khan and Kirk. Uh, listen, when you, Kirk when you, never fucked Khan. At least no. not. Maybe in some slash fiction. But, but there, was, there, was the, there was the whole thing about... Khan liking the same woman as Kirk because right. remember uh, I forgot what her name was that ended up going with Khan. She was in a relationship with Kirk. Mm-hmm. So there was that love triangle there where basically well Khan loves the woman that I love and she and the end Khan ends up taking her away from Kirk. Right. And you I, could kind of tell going back in that episode you could kind of tell it's very demoralizing for Kirk absolutely. to see yeah. The woman that he loves go with a different man who he hates. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. I get that. But however, with the Burnham and Tyler situation, it, it's it's a lot more intimate. It's a lot more intimate. There's a sense of love from both sides that they were in love with each other. So to have that ripped away because they find out the truth about Burnham finds out the truth about Tyler and Tyler finds out the truth about himself. It doesn't mean his feelings aren't there in some way. So it's going to be really fun to see what happens. And I'm hoping this is just the very beginning of an ongoing emotional roller coaster. Oh, yeah. I, I love this type of stuff. Dude, it, it, it's heading towards that way because if you think about it, Klingons are very honorable. At the end of the day, they're a very honorable race. We all know that. Klingons yeah. live and die by Eating honor. their enemies is very honorable. Well, <laughs> Their word is their bond. Remember, they always they always say our word is our bond. Tyler has literally promised Burnham that he will always be there to protect her. That has to be a huge conflict with his other personality. Yeah, it's going to be fun to see. I, I feel like uh, now we are entering an area that needs to be done very careful. Yes. Like the writers need to be very careful moving forward. What happens? Because, because there's so many elements about this relationship between the two that you're like kind of going, it could go either way. Yeah. And they have to handle this very carefully because they cannot. They created something really good, really great here. And if they're not careful, they can just as just as quickly destroy it. So hopefully they have it. I think I, I would have, you know what? 
I, I feel like they understand where they're going with this. So I don't have a fear of it. However, I'm, I'm there's still that little doubt. You know? <laughs> I'm hoping I'm hoping they, they continue down the path they're going. They don't just end this. Um, all right, let's move on to the the faceless emperor <laughs> uh, is revealed as no other than Giorgio. Now, this shit, David, honestly <laughs> couldn't get more Shakespearean, as we were saying. Burnham's dead mentor has revealed herself as being <laughs> the emperor. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. Now, if you're a female and you're an emperor, shouldn't you be an empress? Empress? Yeah, exactly. Now, is that not, is that gender insensitive? Should I not say that? That that that's the funny part about. Does this. it take away around uh, take away empowerment for women by calling them an empress? Mm, I wouldn't say uh, say so because like you gotta remember that's the first thing Lorca should have said. Like you're not an emperor, <laughs> you're an empress. <laughs> it's mixed direction. <laughs> the, the the thing I would tell you're people not is, gender fluid. Exactly. You're but. No one knew who the emperor was to this point. Yeah. So, I mean, like, everyone refers to them as emperor. Okay, because you haven't seen them. So, no one ever thought, well, the emperor might be a woman. Yeah. There's going to be some big ramifications emotionally here. I mean, again, talking about great acting. I mean, um, oh, shit. What's her name? Sonequa, Sonequa Green? Yes. Sonequa Martin Green. Sorry. Sonequa Martin Green. I mean, talk about talent. Again, that face when George Al popped on the screen and we had that shot that just stayed on Burnham, that reaction shot. And she went from surprise to emotion to horror. To all, horror. All in 15 seconds. Because it's just can, amazing job from from her. Just amazing acting job. You can see that basically this whole time Burnham is still really confused in this universe. She doesn't realize how this universe works. Right. And then by this episode, she's done enough research that the only thing she understands is all of the mirror universe counterparts of themselves are polar opposites of themselves. So knowing that basically my mentor, who I thought was peace-loving, kind, caring, brilliant, starship captain, all of a sudden the flip side is she's going to be ruthless. Yeah. She's going to be dangerous, and she's not going to have any mercy in her soul whatsoever. Right. right. And if this is done correctly, this will amount to far more than just the casual viewer suspects. I mean, based on our trifecta of brilliance and the theory of destiny at play, Giorgio of the Mirror Universe and Burnham will have some type of relationship in this reality as well. It's going to happen. There's going to be something more than just I'm your boss and you're my uh, my devoted servant. There's going to be more of an intimate relationship of sorts. I'm not saying it's going to be mentor and student, but there's going to be something there than just simply I'm your boss. I'm the emperor and you listen to me. There's going to be more of a, a deeper rooted relationship here. Um, again, and the reason why I'm saying this is just based on all the breadcrumbs we have so far from the writers. Everything's about destiny. Everything's about the opposites. Yes but also destiny and bringing these characters together and explaining why there are duplicates of each and they're, and they're connected much like the 
Prime universe. And it's going to do a couple things. And if it's done correctly, the writers will no doubt find a way to give Burnham the closure, she, the closure she needs to move forward after this season's done. Closure that quite possibly should she would never have had if she had not crossed into the mirror universe. And this kind of goes back to what you and I were saying, David, about them choosing the the best setting possible to explore certain elements of these characters. And this is just another one. It, you know, the trifecta of brilliance. We had that closure with the midseason finale, but we also knew there was much more to come. And now they're working on the opposite side of Burnham's closure. They're working from the inside out. Now they're not done. They're still utilizing the same things. They're still utilizing Saru and Sarek. And of course, George Joe to really discover who this person is, who Burnham is and who she will become. It's just, it's very well crafted. Um, I don't feel like it's the simple. I know there were some complaints online, unfortunately, about, oh, of course, it's Giorgio. Of course, it's Giorgio. And they're being assholes about it. But I'm like, <laughs> of course, it is Giorgio. It makes sense. This fits the theme of what we're seeing this season. Of yeah. course, it is. It wasn't supposed to be a fucking surprise. It makes sense. That's why you were able to call it out, because it would everything they're doing this makes sense to the exploration of this character, Burnham. I think, honestly, fans' expectations. Let, let, let's not get into go, that. You're going to hate them on them again. <laughs> you know what? The thing about fans is fuck them. <laughs> That's what you were about to say. All right. So there are still a lot of questions revolving around the emperor. Yes. Um, is she part of Sado's dynasty? I think that's the racist, the racist, <laughs> the racist conclusion. conclusion. All Asians are related, right? I hate to say it. I hate to say it. The first time I saw, I saw George Al, when I saw the twist, I go, does that mean that? Well, at the end of enterprise, we yeah. know Sado was like the, the, the first emperor. Right. Right. So, that has to mean that Sato and Giorgio are descendants, right? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, I sound so racist right now. <laughs> uh, now, the second question is, was Sato ever even a dynasty? We know in some of the the media tie-ins that are not canon. I forgot the name of the book, but there was a book that actually specifically delved in to the Sato dynasty in the mirror universe. Yeah. However, that's not canon. And if you remember the ending of Enterprise, all we saw was Sato in charge of the USS Defiant heading to Earth to conquer, air quotes, that's what she said she was going to do. She's going to go conquer the Emperor and take the throne. And it made sense, too, because, like, I'm sorry, we discussed this in the past, she has technology that is far advanced than anything that has been seen yep. so far. And yes. And that leads to the next two questions, David, what happened after those events? Okay. Are they going to give us clue us in? Are they going to fill in the blanks? And did they reverse engineer the defiant? When the defiant crossed over, it was a hundred years in the past. So they, the mirror universe got their hands on technology that was a hundred years advanced of their own it would explain it would explain one major thing that when i thought about it what it would explain how the terran empire got so in control and dominated everybody but weren't they already dominating in enterprise a hundred years before weren't they already or was it just in their own solar system no it was just in their own solar system because they were still fighting they were still fighting like all those other alien races and having problems right but then then the defiant showed up and killed everybody because the defiant at that point that ship was like what they say like a hundred years 
at more advanced than any ship, including all the alien races. So by now, and you got to remember by discovery right here, the alien races have been reduced to basically a small resistance. So something had to have come along to put the Terrans so utter in dominance yeah. that basically they controlled everything. Yeah. It'll explain it. And also, you know, adding a bit more to that, there's a lot of, and I know you and I discussed this a little bit last week that they have to be very careful for continuity's sake moving yes. forward. And I'm not a stickler for continuity when it comes to aesthetics. We've already talked about that, meaning it, there's just no way you're going to truly be true to the way things looked uh, when you compare it to a show that aired in the 1960s, 1960s, it would look silly if you tried to like pawn this show off and made it look like the 1960s, it, the tech, you know, the way the enterprise looked. I'm okay with it doing, you know, doing it as one offs, but I understand why they changed certain things and they changed the continuity when it comes to technology. But one thing I am a stickler on is narrative continuity. Don't mess up the story. There's no reason for it. No. So I liked how they so far they're being careful with what they do. Um, cause of, of course there was a moment that I was worried this week when, when Burnham went down and talked to the Alliance and was talking about peace and yada, 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 and, 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 uh, uh align people and creating, you know, what's, I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? Alliances. Alliances. Looking, and she's curious about it. And it seemed like there was going to be a change in the way the the alliance operated and maybe possibly wanted to commu- start communicating with with um, with the Terran Empire in some way. Maybe they're looking for avenues of peace because of Burnham. They gave them that hope. And I, I didn't want that hope to last. And I'm glad at the end of the episode, Giorgio popped up and destroyed the planet <laughs> because you got to remember in, in when it comes to narrative continuity. The change to the Terran Empire did not happen until after Kirk crossed over and convinced Spock that he could be somebody else. He could yes. be different. He doesn't need to do this. And, of course, we know moving forward into Deep Space Nine, um, we find out that Kirk's speech to Spock worked. Spock took big steps to changing the way the Terran Empire operated ultimately it ended horribly for them. It didn't work, but it did turn them from a terrible, tyrannical dictatorship dictatorship into something different. So I'm glad that that happened because I don't think they're they they, they can't have those traces of hope yet, right? No, the, the they Terran, can't. Yeah, they can't because it, like the thing it comes is, from Kirk. It comes from and Kirk. Spock. Spock that was the you can't that was take, the spark. Yeah, you can't take that away from. Spock's, you know, the mirror universe Spock's destiny. I, I felt like that was such a great moment in Star Trek history. And I think that's what I, that's why I kind of dig about the idea of destiny throughout, throughout discovery is the fact that no matter what we say, nothing changes what is going to happen. Right. You know, everything, no matter what Burnham does, it's not going to change the, the, the other importance of other points in history, like other fixes, other fixed point, what a lot of people call fixed points in time. Right. So just because she gets, she tries to get this alliance, this hope, well, that's going to get snuffed out because guess what? The, the, the spark of hope is not going to happen till Spock. Right. And that's it. Yeah. Because that's the first thing I thought of when I saw those torpedoes launch and destroy the planet. I was like, yep. Good. <laughs> I was glad. <laughs> yeah. Because there would there were just no way that they could just leave that there. Yeah, I agree. It was good. 
All right. So Stamets, or should we call him the Traveler? <laughs> He's going to be the Traveler. <laughs> I told, I'm telling you. Oh are my God. You, his, are you, brain, his brain is turned half. Are you 100% sold on that? I'm sold on really? it. Really? I got to be. Because I'm sorry. Literally, they literally said that his front cortex was replaced with something that is yeah. out of this dimension. Yeah. And I'm like, traveler. <laughs> it would be a, such a great little tie-in, man. It would be so good. I would be okay with it. I, I just don't know if I want to call it out yet. I know we didn't we say something like the very the very first time we started dealing with the spore drive and the connection that he had what was like in episode two or, th- or episode three or four. That's the first thing we said, and I know it made a lot of sense and and hopefully or possibly I should say it will happen. But we shall see. We shall see. Now with Stamets, he didn't do much. Uh, they didn't. The writers didn't do much with him this week. They used his character along uh, with Tilly and Saru to to expand a bit more on the science of the spores and how it all works. Um, I'm sure. M- m- I'm sure much of what they said will pay off before the end of the season. A lot of the techno techno babble because it was full on. Yes, so it was full on this week. So I'm sure a lot of that's going to pay off by the end of the season. And it'll help explain some of their um, their decisions and maybe potential wins to getting Stamets back to where he needs to be, right? 100%. Even though I don't think Stamets will ever be 100%. No. I think by the end of this, Stamets is going to be completely changed. He's not going to be the same Stamets. Yeah. They'll they'll get him out of the palace that am, he keeps talking about. I am the gay about. traveler. Yeah. He- <laughs> I will seek out... Wesley Crusher. <laughs> Wesley Crusher. I was like, oh, yeah, he's a traveler. Yeah, Wesley Crusher. He didn't know what he was in for. <laughs> yes, Wait. I want to, Yes, I want to become a traveler just like you. Just like you. Oh, okay. We're going to be Wait. alone. Yeah. <laughs> Intimate time. Intimate time. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I have to put this blindfold on while I'm doing this? It's, it's, to, it's to concentrate. <laughs> All right. So Lorca was MIA this week. Uh, the question remains, what is he up to, though? Does he have his own plan still? I feel like he has become a little too neutered. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I feel like, yes, he, I'm not going to take away any of our previous analysis. I feel like at the core of, I think at Lorca's core, I feel like he's a good person. But he's also very, very damaged. And I'm willing to bet he's working on something that Burnham is not in the know about i don't know i don't know i mean like that one conversation that one conversation with uh him and burnham she took him out of the 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 torture pod yeah and they were having that discussion of it going i I was like yeah like Lorca has to have a plan b yeah he's just that type of person to have plan b but i'm sorry the way that he's being portrayed now it does feel like they've neutered him a little bit because there's not something he could do but that's why i think it's intentional I think he's neutered purposely for right now to to misdirect us. But I have a feeling that if he's not working on something, because obviously I don't think he had a I don't think he had I don't think his intention was ever to cross over to the mirror universe. However, I feel like something is going to be shoved in front of him that he can't resist. And I don't mean Laurel's 
ridged boobs. Ridged boobs. I mean something of value to the war effort against the Klingons. Something dangerous. Something that does not belong in the prime universe. The prime timeline that he's going to try to bring back to help win the war. Something very dangerous. Yeah, I was, I was really, I was really wondering how his character would react to Burnham telling him. You know, hey, this is my plan. We're gonna try to bring peace on our side, trying to figure out how they brought peace on their side. And I was like going, Lorca would not go with this, I think, because I think Lorca would be against something like this. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, yes, he wants to win the war, but that's the thing. You don't win war with peace. I mean, yeah. the way Lorca's been diplomacy portraying Diplomacy only gets you so far. Diplomacy and, only gets so far. Yeah. And Lorca at this point has always portrayed the fact that he doesn't want to win the war. He wants to defeat the Klingons. Yeah. And that's why I'm thinking that the writers are purposely sidelining his ambitious the ambitious side of Lorca for the time being because I feel like He's going to resurface. And the dangerous side of Lorca is going to resurface soon. Again, I don't think he's a bad guy. I just think that he's willing to do anything. Yeah, well, it goes it goes into question. Like, I think the question that is still there with Lorca is what was brought up in the last episode when they came back from their midseason finale was like Lorca brought up the fact, huh, isn't it strange that basically the hero, the, the mirror universe of himself is the hero. Yeah. And that's and, so brilliant. Yeah. And I, I'm like going at this point, that still is, it should be in the back of everyone's yep. head that Lorca brings this up. Yep. There's right a reason now, for that. There is a absolute reason for that. He, he He's, he's doing all the heroic things, but for what goals, Yeah, you know, is he trying to be the hero or does he have his own plans now? Because he's like, okay, interesting. So I got to play the the role of the hero now to to get my way. Maybe you know the road the road to the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and Lorca is the type of person that he would gladly go down that road to hell. Yeah, because he thinks it's a for right reasons. For that, right that's reasons. That, that's the dangerous thing about characters like Lorca is they have good intentions and they feel like the the ends justifies justify the means. The means. Yeah. yeah. So we, we'll see. I feel like there's definitely something about to happen with him. He's not going to be a, a, a neutered character. I hope, I hope it not. for the rest of the season. Because I've really enjoyed the character of Lorca up to this point. I I'd, I'd hate to, for them to like yeah, they're just not. neuter him right now. They're not. They're just they're putting him on the back burner for the time being for for some reasons, I'm sure. That kind of concludes our, our our main discussion, our own breakdown. But there were some questions that were littered throughout the interwebs this week that I felt um, was worthy of discussion and okay. breaking down a bit. And we can either choose to destroy them with torpedo fire or we can justify and kind of take their com- conversation or their their banter a bit farther with our own analysis. OK. OK. So there were some issues, questions, comments from around the interwebs. That I feel is worthy of discussion. All right. So the first one is taken from the um, the independent dot co dot UK website. Uh, and the comment on this week's episode. The characters in this episode go nowhere fast. At least until Burnham goes on a bizarre mission to seek to understand how a pan 
racial coalition can be maintained, seemingly forgetting that as a Starfleet officer, she already worked for one. Now, when I first read this comment, I a part of me was inclined to agree that it felt a little silly that she would go ask how a pan-racial group of individuals can create an alliance when she works for one called the Federation and Starfleet. However, you brought up the point, Dave, during the show, where it wasn't about necessarily the alliance and how to create an alliance. It was about how Vok can see past his own ideology of purity and join an alliance, an alliance. and become a, a leader. Yeah. And I think that without expanding and wasting any more time on that, that's our rebuttal. Would you agree? No, absolutely. The The name of the game wasn't to find a grandiose way of actually bringing everyone together on in her world. It's about understanding her enemy. It's understanding the Klingons. How, how in the world does this Klingon leader side with all these, all these other races when Klingon Klingon beliefs, it talks about purity and, and keeping the Klingon bloodline pure. Right. It, it was more about Burnham trying to understand. Yeah. And obviously she wants to understand so she can take that piece of knowledge and hopefully use it to bridge the gap that's be, that's there between the Federation and, and the Klingon empire. I think that was the whole point. She Understand wanted, your she wanted enemy. To get in, right. She wanted to get inside of his head personally. So that's, I think that's a very simple rebuttal, Dave. Yeah. It's a very simple rebuttal need, because it's, it, I know it's, it's hard for some people to uh, that pe- people want cut and dry, easy and simple. But the fact of the matter is you can't have that in story. Sometimes you have to have actual honest to God moments of rationale. Yeah. All right. Let's move into the next one is taken. The next question or comment is left from digital spy.com again, posted on the review of this episode for the audience, it's less a shocking reveal and more relief that the piecing together of clues can stop now that Tyler remembers he's been Vok all along. And the series can now move on to the next stage of the plot, hopefully without fans being able to guess what's next this time. Now, again, this to me is taking a it's taking a lot of liberties with this assessment. I have to disagree with this one as well, Dave. And, I, and I'm not going to expand on it too much because we've already talked about this in depth. In depth. I don't feel like the reveal of Vok or Tyler being Vok was as predictable as people like to say it is now. I feel like the, the fan theories, one fan posted it, other blogs picked it up, and it became fodder. For the masses and everybody then posted it on sites and claimed it as their own theory. And I honestly feel like if the net wasn't there or, or a fan didn't draw these conclusions and post it to the masses, I don't think it, I don't think there's that many people out there that would have said, Oh, Oh, I saw this coming. I'm not saying there weren't some out there. I'm just saying, I don't think it would have been as predictable as people like to say it is Yeah, moving forward. All right. Next one is taken from the subreddit, Star Trek discovery on Reddit. 
And this is posted by Shatterhand1701. This is so. Can someone clarify something for me? I'm hoping I just missed it and that it wasn't a gaping plot hole. How did Burnham manage to get Discovery to beam up Tyler? Wouldn't the Shinzo have detected Discovery nearby and that his body was transported out of space? Now, there is a rebuttal to this already. I'm going to read that one as well. Okay. Posted by Mr. 768. This bothered me as well. Another thing that, like the strange lack of security recording cameras around Stamets, could have been explained with an extra line or two of dialogue. A quick shot of Michael going back into her quarters and contacting Discovery prior to heading to the transporter room to execute Tyler would have done it. What's strange is that they have more flexibility with running time in this series than any other Star Trek, with it being online and all. So why not add the extra exposition? I feel like this is an intelligent show, right, Dave? Yes. Okay. Very well written for the most part. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of intelligent people in that writing room. And for the most part, Star Trek fans are also intelligent. I'm going to give them that because they are, (laughs) Dave. I, I feel like, I feel like Star Trek fans out of when you take in, when you compare it to Star Wars fandoms and, many of the other countless science fiction fandoms, I feel like a lot of the Star Trek fans are more scientifically inclined and they're a little more intelligent for the most part. Just remember, they're scientifically inclined, but they're also those people that basically think they're scientists. Right. I'm not saying they're scientists. I'm saying they like to pride themselves on being intellectuals. Okay. Is that a better way of saying it? There you go. Okay. I feel like the writers know this. That, for the most part, the Star Trek fans are intellectuals. I don't feel like they need to tell us every little thing that Burnham was doing in order to get from A to B to C to D. I think it's clear. I I wasn't confused about that moment. I feel like, okay, it works. Do you really need to see every little thing that happens? I I don't think it needed to be done. I think we get it. Okay, we already know that she was in communication with Tilly and Saru, right? Yes. Okay. So, deductive reasoning tells me that they were in the know simple as that i don't feel like i don't feel like we need to waste time telling us every little plan that burnham's gonna do so because we need to justify why we've seen it on screen yes because that's actually terrible writing you never want to justify scenes by writing justifications that's horrible it's actually writing 101 you never do that you You never do that yeah so now To add a little bit, Dave, to what Mr. 768 said, I do agree with him about his comment about flexibility with running time. And this is something that I feel like Star Trek is really missing the boat on, Star Trek Discovery. We have all these new avenues of distribution nowadays. Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, CBS All Access. These are all online formats, right? Yes. The rules of television writing can change a bit. Not talking about act structure, but running time. You no longer have to stick to that 52 minutes or the 47 minutes for commercial breaks. You don't need to. Because you're not on regular television that needs to go to commercial breaks. So why are we writing episodes that follow the exact procedure of network television? 
And I think by doing that, they're missing the boat and not taking full advantage of their distribution outlet. Take advantage of it. That's the beautiful thing about today's technology. You know, why stick to the 52 minute rule? Why not go an hour and five minutes? This is something that various shows are doing nowadays. Longmire on Netflix has done it well, where if this episode dictates a little bit more meat, it needs a little bit more to it. Then they go for an hour and four minutes, an hour and five minutes, an hour and seven minutes. As long as the script feels tight and the story feels cohesive and it doesn't feel like they're dragging things out. I think there's room to expand your running time a bit. And I'd really like to see Star Trek Discovery do that. Obviously, these episodes are done, but moving forward into season two, take advantage of that running time. And I know possibly the reason why they're not doing it is because they're not writing for just a internet audience i know they're on the space channel i believe on in canada yes and maybe possibly they're hoping to air these someday on network television so they want it to fit into that format that could be the case as well i think uh, uh, my idea my thought process on this because it has it is a it, it it's a question that i've been asking myself as a as a production in a film historian and just looking at it and seeing why is it that that they're doing it this way and just questioning the production. I've come to the realization that basically you also have to throw in the fact they might be doing this because a CBS all access, this was their first major series, right? So this is their first quote unquote at bat at this. And whether yes, CBS is a huge company. They should know how to how how the market is run nowadays. But then again, they're treading in water that basically they're not used to. So while I agree with you, I, I would love to see them actually increase the runtime just to increase that narrative because you know other other companies are doing it. CBS, this is a new this is a new avenue for them. So they they might be approaching this with a little caution. Yes, this is their first major. This is it, Discovery has been a success thus far. However, the question then becomes for CBS: What else can we bring it to CBS All Access? And then, just like what you said, they have to deal with the fact that they might have plans for Discovery where they go to national television, to other uh, to other distributions like uh, Space Channel, because they have to format. At the end of the day, they still have to keep the format the same. Yeah, and I think that's the simple. I think that's the simple answer. That's the simple answer. Yeah, they they also you never know. In ten years, they may want to syndicate this. In five years, they may want to syndicate this on on television, and it's going to need to fit the format. So that could be the simple answer. And I'm kind of leaning. I'm inclined to believe that one. Yeah, I'm I'm really inclined to right now believe in that one. Yes, fans as fans. We want them to have a longer runtime, but I think also as a fan, you have to be patient because they have to first see if this is going to be a total success. Yeah. And if it does, if it is a great total success, then by the second season, hopefully we'll see a bigger runtime because that's how it usually goes. Yeah. All right. So final thoughts, Dave, then we need to wrap this week's discussion. Give me your final thoughts. Give me a grade as well in this episode. Let's get pretentious. Let's get on our soapbox here and give out grades. Great. Grades for this. Okay. Uh, Overall, there's so much in this episode that I really enjoyed. We didn't even touch on a couple other elements that I wrote down on my notes. You know, the, the implications of Sarek in the mirror universe. What does that mean for Spock? 
and it and how that actually helped broaden the idea of Spock in the mirror universe. And then uh, so many other things. Grade wise, I give this a solid B plus. You know, is it my favorite? Is it my favorite like last week's? Not quite, but this is also it still did everything it needed to do to progress the storyline forward. And it made me want to continue to actually see where else are they going. It opened up more possibilities than a lot of people actually may want to think where the story is going. It's not just simply we're stuck in the mirror universe. We're stuck in the mirror universe. Yeah, but now the implications of like, well, now we know who the emperor is. Why is it George Ao? What does this do for Burnham's character? She's already in this internal conflict and then she has to deal with Tyler. So... So overall, I really enjoyed this episode. I mean, it was, it's not a throwaway episode by any means. And it may not be perfect, but it, it serviced, it serviced the series well enough. All right. My thoughts once again, Dave, very similar to yours. Uh, I feel like this is a strong episode when it comes to character development uh, the mirror, the allow the mirror universe will ultimately lead to Burnham's redemption. I feel like that's definitely something that was uh, being alluded to. Uh, the the idea of using the mirror universe as a setting to explore certain questions and issues of identity, I think, is absolutely fascinating and amazing. I feel like it was a great decision to take the show into the mirror universe to explore these types of questions and, and uh, nuances to story. Also the poetic aspects of the visuals this week. I, I mean, that's a plus work with the visuals just beautifully done. As I was saying, almost every shot where you see the discovery in the background is just a piece of art. It's absolutely beautiful. The choice colors just add so much vibrance and life to the shot in a, in a rather stark story. Or in a rather depressingly stark story in a stark existence of the mirror universe. And yet you have these uh, conflicting uh, colors that are just, I think, I think it's just so good. And a lot of these writers along with the cinematographers are working together, I think in a very center uh, synergistic way. They're, they're really communicating. And I feel like the work that we see on screen is a testament to that. They're showing that they're trying to create certain emotions. They're hoping to evoke certain emotions. And that can only be done if you're all working together and everyone's on the same page. So I feel like this was a strong episode when it comes to character development and the implications. So I'll give this episode a, a B. David, anything else you want to add before we close out today? That's it. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening. If you love our broadcast and you just can't get enough of it, please find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search Star Wars. Oh, wait a second. Star Star Wars. (laughs) Potty mouth. (laughs) Just search Star Trek from the holodeck. Add us to your favorites. Leave us reviews. Tweet us. Tell people about us. And we'll see everybody next week. And live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.